the countdown clock went to zero. So I think that might be it's time to start. If you guys are ready, I'm ready. Let's stand and we'll sing our first uh, song this evening. Come now, found of every blessing. Come now, found of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Some by
seated. There's a crown for all those who love his appearing, right? When he comes again, he's going to appear in the clouds and yank us all up into the sky. Are you going to be afraid or are you going to be joyful? I don't know. It's probably a little bit of a mix of both because it's going to be such a surprising event. Wow. Think about it. Huh? We need something to be alive when that happens. And we're going to see it regardless, right? But to be here and be caught up in the clouds, it is going to happen. All right, complete in the... Complete in the... here. It's good to have the newlyweds back with us, Trey and Sarah, got married, was it a week and a half ago, two weeks, two and a half weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, and so congratulations, they went to Colorado and came back to sunny Indiana uh, to uh, enjoy those things. There's a couple things for you, there's uh, uh, the cottage prayer meetings for the revival have been dated out, and uh, there's sign-ups on that table out there between the two buildings. So you can sign up. I'm encouraging everybody to get to at least one of those cottage prayer meetings. And then there's also out there, you'll see a list like this. It's called a Revival Prayer List. So someone that you know that is unsaved or you're unsure of their salvation, now don't stop listening, all right, that you plan on re- inviting to the revival, right? You may have a lot of people that you have on that list, but these are people who, you know, you might, are going to work on getting to the revival, would go on this side over here. Uh, it would be people who are saved but might have spiritual needs that you're going to plan on trying to get here. Uh, if you don't start filling out this list, then when the cottage prayer meeting times come, we'll take copies and pass them out to all of the cottage prayer meetings, and we'll uh, saturate those uh, prayer requests as well. So Ed Gannon's brother passed away. Was it yesterday, but Ed? Yesterday, suddenly. And so if you'd pray for the family out in Phoenix. And so they're not having a service. They're... Uh, but uh, so just go ahead. Las Vegas. I'm sorry, Las Vegas. I said Phoenix. Las Vegas. So uh, out west someplace. And uh, then uh, so just pray for the family there and families that are involved. Uh, Vicki King, you might have already heard, but uh, she uh, you know, has stage two cancer. But they determined that uh, they are going to proceed with some sort of mastectomy, either a, a single or double. She um, She has the the genetic trait that says this is probably not going to stop here. And so a safe thing would be just to go ahead and remove both breasts. So if you just pray for her, she's facing that today and and had a doctor's meeting today at some point. So uh, if you just remember her in your prayers, we'll take more prayer requests if you need to. I just want to say those before I forget. There's a mess over that way as we've pulled everything out of the office almost. 
the big stuff. I know, I know, I do what I can, but I could not move the safe out of there on my own. Uh, so tonight, hopefully, some of the strong guys from uh, Brett's class will come over, and uh, they'll get that safe moved out of there, and there's a couple other just things that are just bulky and hard to deal with, and uh, so we'll get those out, and then uh, that's going to be that way Sunday. I don't know how to tell you. We're going to have to work around this until we get the flooring all in. Sunday night after church, anybody that wants to help us remember, uh, we'll empty out the, the nurseries and uh, have them ready. The goal, the prayer, the hope is that uh, the nurseries, at least, are completed before Wednesday, so we have a nursery on Wednesday. And if not, then we don't. You understand? And so we'll just bring the kids in here to do whatever. Uh, but I, I, I can't make everything happen. And, you know, it just is, it is what it is. And then they'll get the flooring done on the, uh, on the office, and then we'll try to get everything put back in place. But until then, it's just kind of a mess. Over here, it still looks normal. But uh, anyway, uh, that's, that's just kind of where we are, so you can keep thinking about those. We're going to continue our study. We started a couple weeks ago, building godly character and values. So the first week we defined uh, character and values and reputation, and it kind of uh, just got me going. So last week, then I gave you another definition of reputation and character. So uh, we'll kind of just keep that going until I run out of definitions to share with you. Uh, we're kind of basing all of this on Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. We're at the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We would like to see those things, right, incorporated into our lives in such a way that they become a part of us. That that's just the way we are because it's now a new nature living out in us. We all have a nature, right? We're born with some, and we all have a propensity for something, right? We just do. Some of you are hot-tempered by nature, right? You're kind of born that way. Nobody had to teach you how to get angry quick. You were doing it when you were two, and uh, nobody taught it to you. It just was there, and so. It's, some kind of by nature. Uh, but then the Spirit of God comes in, and you are given by God a new nature. And that new nature now has the ability, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be lived out, fleshed out in our lives. So what we want to do is cooperate with God in building that godly character. And then the values uh, are just that, values uh, by our definition. And I don't, I've, I've tried to see if there's an easier way to, or a, a better way. I don't know that there's a better way to define values. Values are basically summed up in what you think is important, right? That's what drives you. Whatever gets you up and going to work or gets you up, and that's your value system. I, I, um, I've been in shock. So, I don't know. Did the governor sign that bill about, because uh, they said he might sign it today, about uh, third grade and below, you can't talk to them about sex in public schools? Did he sign it? Do we know? Nobody knows? They were talking about it on the news this morning on my way to school, so I thought maybe... Some progress has been made, I don't know. But I, I'm sitting here thinking, first of all, you know, because there are people, believe it or not, that are against the bill. And I'm, what kind of value system motivates someone to say, I think we should talk to seven-year-olds about sex? What is the value system that, that would think that robbing children of their youth, of, of the, you know, the simplicity of youth, that would say, we're going to burden children. We're going to talk to a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old about whether or not they're the right gender. What, what value system thinks this is the right thing to do? Let's, let's put this burden on this eight-year-old. That makes zero sense to thinking rational people in my mind, but it is because there's a value system that is driving that, right? Something is important to those people that's driving them that direction. And it, I don't fully understand those things, but... Uh, there are there is there are a couple of problems that I have by the way with that bill. First of all, it stops at the third grade. I have a problem with that, right? Because I don't think you should be talking to nine-year-olds about sex either. You know, I, adults talking to children about sex is creepy if they're not their parents, right? That's just creepy, and so uh, I have a problem with that. But that's just me. That's because my value system is there. But there's another problem I have with it, because in the bill it also addresses if your child, and this is for, I, I don't know if it's three or third grade and under or not, if it stays with those same age parameters, but if your child decides they want to be known by another pronoun, then the school is required to write the parents and tell them about it. 
Now, that's fine, but where's, where's it say that the school is going to educate the child? Uh, no. You are biologically a boy, and we will call you by your biological given, right? We're, we're, I mean, you don't have to bring God into it. If you don't want to bring God into the public schools, just bring science into the mix, right? Let's just talk science here. This is, you're biologically a boy. That's what we're going to call you. We're going to call you a boy. Boy, we ought to be using that for an opportunity for education. I don't understand, but it's all values. That's, I digress. I'm sorry. And so here we go. This is a couple more co comments on a reputation and character. It takes a lifetime to build a good reputation. Just one minute to ruin it. Ooh, think about that one. Right? That is a major statement there. The truth of your character is known by the choice of your actions. So we'll try to give you something on reputation and character each week that we do this. And, uh, we'll be going through almost to the end of May. Uh, a good name is rather be chosen, the Bible says, than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And so, you know, God says if you're going to choose a value here, uh, you ought to choose the reputation, the good name, over stuff and money. And Right? That's very simple. God's giving us a value system. So we're going to spend the rest of this time talking about work. Uh, what we've done is, remember, we divided up into three major categories, and one of them is those personal values and personal uh, character traits. And so work is what we're going to talk about, the, the uh, thing that we don't have much of. And I've, I've gone through and I've gotten a ton of quotes. Not by, I'm not putting stamps of approval on the people who I'm sharing quotes with, all right? I'm, but I do like the quotes that we're going to share. Without ambition, I like this. Without ambition, one starts nothing. Without work, one finishes nothing. And I love this next statement because it's so anti where we are in our society. The prize will not be sent to you. You have to win it, right? You don't get a participation ribbon in, in life. Uh, we, we're teaching our kids weird things, you know, so they feel like that no matter what they do, they should, they should be honored and be treated as, as, if it's, as if it's a success. But that's not life. We're not teaching them anything. So... We don't want to award everybody. If you award everybody, you're really awarding nobody, right? I mean, if, if everybody wins, then nobody wins. That doesn't make sense. And uh, so here's what the Bible says. Paul's talking, know you not that they which run in a race run all. Everybody's running, but one receiveth the prize. You and I are called upon by God to so run that we may win the prize, right? We're supposed to run as if we want to win, our work ethic ought to be that we're not content when we stand before God for God to give us a participation ribbon, right? That's not the work ethic that we ought to have. And uh, you know this. I'm preaching to the choir, but still, uh, just let me vent, all right? And I'm, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about work today. Uh, here's another one, Terry Pratchett. Uh, you're not going to know all of these people, and if you know this guy, he's an author, the book is a, a children's book, probably not one that you, would, uh, that you would read to your kids that much, but I like this line out of it. It says, if you trust in yourself and believe in your dreams and follow your star, you'll still get beaten by those who spent their time <laughs> hard, hard and learning things that weren't so, and so say, lazy. I, there's two words cut off. They spent their time working hard and learning things that weren't so lazy. They got cut off, and I didn't notice it. I'm sorry. So uh, I just like that because, you know, we, we tell our kids this, right? We tell our kids, just believe in yourself. Follow your dreams. Follow your star. You know, and, and, I, and we're teaching them how to live in a dream world. And he's like, if you do that, you're going to get beaten by people who are living in reality. They're going to work hard and they're going to pass you up. Because life is a, a, the, hard, the hardness of reality. And uh, here's what the Bible says, whatever you drink, whatever you do, all the glory of God. We ought to be doing this thing. Whatever your hand finds, do, do it mightily as unto the Lord and not unto men, right? We ought to be working hard. And I, I just thought that one was worth sharing. We're eventually going to get to a, a list of things that are biblical principles on work, but right now I'm just sharing with you some of these things. Thomas Edison, I love this one. Thomas Edison says, we often miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> And I'm going to prove this to you, and I'm, so I'm going to say it on the airways. I'm not trying to offend anybody. This morning I said it, and nobody was here, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, we have seen this happen in our midst, right? You people are wonderful about giving money for our kids to go to camp. You're wonderful about it. 
But we don't believe that we ought to just give the kids the money. We want them to earn it, right? And you would be shocked. You would be shocked how many times kids turn down the opportunity. You know why? Because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. We're like, hey, you want to make 100 bucks to go to camp? Yes. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to go here uh, Saturday morning and clean out their gutters or do what? Oh. And it wouldn't be so bad. But mom and dad excuse it, too. And we actually, all, we actually know better, right? Uh, no, no, we ought to be teaching our kids. I just love that one. It's like, you know, it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Benjamin Franklin said this, Hide not your talents, for they for use were made. What is a sundial in the shade? So a sundial has to have the sun to work. And if we hide our talents in the darkness of, you know, wherever we're hiding them, it's not going to work. You know, God is, do we believe that God has given all of us talents and abilities to put to work? Do we believe that God is... Have you ever read Romans chapter 12 where it goes through the gifts of the Spirit and God promises that He has gifted every single one of us in some way or another? I personally believe two things about the gifts of the Spirit that not everyone believes. I believe that it's very likely you have more than one. Right? There may be one that's predominant, but sometimes I've watched people go through the fruits of the, the gifts of the Spirit, and they say, oh, that's my gift, and then they get to, they, I, I can ignore all the others because that's my gift. No, that's not the way this works. They're all part of the Spirit, so as we're living out the Spirit life, all of them are going to show up in our lives at some point or another. But we might have one that stands out more than another. But I also believe that God might change that gift depending on the circumstance of our life. Right? There are times that we are given, we're given a certain job to do, and all of a sudden we need a certain gift to make that happen. I think I can prove that from the scripture where Moses, remember when, when, uh, when Jethro, Moses' um, father-in-law said, Jethro, this, or said, Moses, this is too much work. You need to spread this out. And the Bible says God took from the spirit that he had put on Moses and divvied it out among other people to do this job. Do you remember that? You know, it's like, oh, all of a sudden God had a different job for these other people to do. Let me gift you to do that job. So I, I believe that, you know, we might have this as our predominant gift, but all of a sudden we have reason to need this gift over here. They're gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit of God can gift them to us at His will. And so uh, not everybody would agree with me on that, and you can disagree. I don't really care. Uh, but that's just, I'll share my opinion with you. Here's what Luke talks about. Luke is talking about the, it's talking about money here. Uh, in, a, in another book, it uses the word talent, but it's talking about hiding it, right? And so Jesus says, out of thine own heart will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then, or why then, gavest not thou my money into the bank that was at, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? The idea is that you know, we are all stewards of what God has given us, right? Whether it's talents and abilities or whether it's money or whether it's property or whatever, we're, talent, or we're stewards of it, and we're supposed to invest that, not hide it. So the guy that buried it, you know, he gets scolded. He, what are you doing burying it? What good is it buried? It didn't do anybody any good. And so uh, I think Ben Franklin has something to say there. Hide not your talents. Uh, put them to work. That's what God's given, us, given them to us for. This is work without purpose. In Ecclesiastes, now remember, let's see if you can remember, we've talked about this before. What is the key phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes? If you read that first verse I have up there, the key phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes is in that first verse. What is the key? Under the sun. That's the key phrase. It, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to say, huh? Because it, it sound, it's really odd sounding. It's like, I thought Solomon was a wise man. Right? And it's, it's just that Solomon is writing the book of Ecclesiastes saying, if we took God out of the mix, here's what life looks like. Life under the sun. Life without God. Life just on this planet. Looking at purely from a human standpoint, here's what life looks like. And specifically work. Here's what he says in verse 11. He says, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. 
in Ecclesia, and later on in verse 18, 19, he says, Yea, I hated all the labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that should come after me. And who knoweth whether he should be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. If we are working without a purpose, if all we're doing is just accumulating stuff, then work does become useless, right? It, it becomes vanity. Vanity. All is vanity. Uh, but we don't work without a purpose. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain when it's in the Lord, Right? If we are laboring the way God has told, taught us to labor and told us to labor, then our labor is no longer in vain. But if we're just laboring by the world standards, we're going to come up short every time. I mean, we're going to be disappointed in what our labor is bringing us. It's just for, it's for nothing, right? I mean, how many of us have watched second generations squander the, the inheritance that they were given? Right? They just squander it. It, it, doesn't, it goes for naught. It doesn't, doesn't accomplish much. Uh, all that labor becomes a man. That's what he's saying. Who knows if the next guy coming up that takes over what I've built, who knows whether he's going to be a wise man or a fool. I don't know. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, it changes things. We need to make sure that we're laboring with a purpose. That we're, you know, what gets you out of bed every day to go to work? You got to figure this one out, right? Because if it's if it's just money, or if it's just stuff that you buy with it, you're going to find it disappointing at some point in your life. It's just going to be disappointing. And I'm not suggesting that you know God God's not against money, right? God does not say that money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. You know that that creates a problem for us, and so. Um, you know, we want to make sure that our labor is not in vain. Well, how do we do that? We put the Lord in the mix, and we let the Lord be the guide of our labors. So we'll talk about that as we go through this. Here's some more things on work. J.M. Barry, uh, who uh, is the author of uh, Peter Pan, so I don't know anything else about him, so I'm not putting him up on the pedestal. I'm just telling him what he says. He says, nothing is, I love this, nothing is really work unless you'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> I like that. You know, it's true. I mean, uh, it is absolutely true. You can enjoy doing anything, but if something better comes along, all of a sudden the thing that you were doing, that you were enjoying just five minutes ago, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I've got to get this done because now I, I want to go do this other thing, which is better, right? And so it, it, it becomes a real challenge. I, I uh, see that happen. It happened with my kids. Now it's happening with my grandson. Uh, you know, so I'm sitting there working. I'm working and doing the things that I like to do. Uh, you know, maybe I'm studying for a sermon, or maybe I'm getting some things done around here at the church building, and all of a sudden here comes Melody teetering over with Peyton, and what I'm doing now is like, oh, I've got to get this done, i got to get this done. Why? Because something much more appealing to me has stepped into the picture, right? So nothing's work unless you'd rather be doing something else. I like that. Uh, this isn't just an old, I couldn't tell you who said it because I've heard it for years, and I don't know who said it. But those who say it can't be done are often passed by someone doing it. Um, it's a good work ethic to teach our kids, right? I put this one up there just because I thought it was amazing. 300 and almost 350 years before Christ walked on this earth, people were dealing with the same issues that we're dealing with in the 21st century. But here's what Plato said. If women are expected to do the same work as men, we must teach them the same things. It is amazing that women in the workforce was, it was something being dealt with 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years ago. And Plato made a good point, right? If, if we're going to expect women to do the same job, then we need, to, we need to make sure that we're... We, in America, we struggle with this, right? But still, still in the, in the world today, there are nations that don't educate their, their women, I'm just being honest. Look at the, you know, go do your research. And so, uh, you know, I just thought that it was pretty amazing. You know, and most of us, we understand the distinctions, right? Um, I personally believe 
that if a woman does the same job as a man, she ought to get paid the same amount of money. That makes sense to me, right? That's like a no-brainer to me. Now, that does not mean that I believe that a woman should be able or should be encouraged, I guess I should say, to do every job that a man does. I personally think it's an embarrassment to our nation to put women on the front lines of a battlefield. I, that's my personal opinion. I, we're a Christian nation, and with that in mind, we are the protectors and the defenders. That's us, guys. That's us. Can a woman do it? Sure. Women can shoot. Ever heard of Annie Oakley? Women can shoot. That's not the point. You know, the point is, should she be risking her life for my freedom? No. That's just, again, you can argue this. I can't take you to a Bible verse that actually says that. Because, yes, I know about Deborah some several thousand years ago who led the charge in a battle against the city. I don't know. I know the story. It's not like, you know, so I'm nuts. But I will tell you, do you remember what Deborah said to Barak? Barak, we're going to win this battle, but you'll get no honor from it. Because Barak refused to step up and lead. So Deborah did. You know, I mean, read the story. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't believe that, you know, uh, I, I, I get concerned. Uh, I, I was mentioning this morning, you know, it's like in firefighters. They literally lowered, uh, a firefighter has to be able to lift a, a limp body off of the floor and carry it down a ladder to rescue them, right? But they lowered the weight limit to accommodate women firefighters. I don't know about you, but if I'm the one laying on the floor, I want the big burly guy to be the one carrying me down the ladder, right? That's what I want. I don't want there to be a question mark as to whether or not they're going to be able to, to pull me up off the floor. And so I, I just, I, while I believe that women ought to be paid equal money for equal work, period, I don't necessarily think that women ought to be doing every job that a man does. I am a believer that women are here and men are here, and equality requires men or women to step down. I, I believe that God put you on a pedestal, and our job is to keep you on the pedestal. And it requires you to step down to be equal to us. I don't understand why you would want that, but that's just my opinion. You can deal with it however else you want. Here's the biblical purposes for work, all right? Uh, in, in no special order. Your family. Here's what the Bible says in First Timothy chapter 5. If a man provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, right? We are supposed to provide for our family. So part of the thing that gets you out of bed every day and goes to work, to go to work, is that right there, right? You, you're, you want to make sure that your family is taken care of. Uh, that's legitimate. And when you're doing that, you know what you're doing? You are doing the work of the Lord. And your labor is no longer in vain. Do you understand how this works? That's what it means to bring the Lord to the mix. Because the Lord is the one that gave us that commandment. We're supposed to be providing for our families. And sometimes, sometimes, that requires women to work. It just does, right? I mean, our, our church has been, we're gracious to help people. But sometimes we have to look at families as we're helping them and say, you know, there's a, there's a way you can help yourself and not put the burden on the church. You need to get a job, you know, and that's just the way it is. And it's not, you know, it's not, uh, I, you know, it's not the greatest way to do it. I'm always, you know, I'm aware, but uh, we're supposed to provide for our family. That's what we're supposed to do. And uh, it, it's against the Lord not to do that. Uh, we're supposed to be laboring for souls. Luke chapter 10 says this. Jesus is talking. He says, uh, he said unto them, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest who would send forth laborers into his harvest. I mean, every effort we put forth to win someone to Christ, to make sure that someone hears the gospel, to send a missionary someplace, to pass out a tract, to invite someone to under the sound of the gospel of church, every one of those is a labor of the Lord, and that labor is not in vain. This is how we bring the Lord into our work. We do what God tells us to do in our work. And so we're laboring for souls. Uh, we ought to be. Uh, for God's glory. If we're laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry and God's building. We're laboring together to bring God glory. Um, you know, it reminds me, uh, I, was, I, was, I, I 
speak off the top of my head too often. So this morning, all of a sudden, I thought of this, so I'll just go ahead and share it with you again tonight. Does anybody remember, we've been reading Daniel um, on Sunday nights. Jonathan's been leading us through Daniel. And I've preached through passages of Daniel a few t- several Sunday nights. Um, does anybody remember one of Daniel's, Daniel's titles? He has one title that is like, is like um, almost an insult, but he has a title. He is chief of the magicians and sorcerers. What a weird title. How would you like to have that title? How would you feel about coming to church and standing up in a testimony service and say, I'm chief of the magicians and sorcerers? <laughs> and like, I don't think so, but you know, but that doesn't mean that Daniel was was denying the faith and turning his back on the Lord. He was like, I am going to go to work every day, and I am going to work for the glory of God. I'm going to be the best worker they've got there. And it kept getting him promoted and promoted and promoted. But when they said, okay, Daniel, now you can no longer pray to your God, Daniel said, uh-uh, just watch. And they said, well, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. He says, okay. And he comes out of the lion's den and gets a promotion. Remember, I mean, it's like this is, this is what Daniel does. And so uh, he's working to the glory of God. I, I Every chance I get to say to your teenagers, uh, you know, you ought to be the best worker at wherever you're working. You know, if you're working at at uh, Lowe's or if you're working at uh, at Chick Fil A, they they ought to. You know, when your name is mentioned, people ought to be saying that is they're the best worker that we've got, and that means that you show up on time and you you work when you're supposed to. You stay off your phone and you and you know you just you work uh, because we're working not for the money but for the glory of God. Now, we get money, that's okay, but that's not our purpose, right? Our purpose is we meet our needs, we're trying to reach souls, and we're working for the glory of God. And we bring the Lord in the mix, it changes labor completely. Um, we work to eat. Uh, I would guess that all of you have eaten some point this week, and you, whether you know it or not, it costs you something. Well, here's what Thessalonians says, for even when ye were, we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. I asked this morning, and I was shocked. Because this morning, you know, I've got 40 or so, about the same number of people that are here, sitting here. But they're all like, I would guess that, you know, I, I'm, once you get past Andrew and Brett, I am like the baby in the group, right? Then everybody else is in their 70s and 80s, and they're here. And so I, I asked this question. How many of you have been sent home, sent to bed without supper? I'll ask you. How many of you have been sent to bed without supper? Would it shock you to know that there are more hands raised right now than there were this morning? Now, there could be a couple of reasons for that, right? It could be that their parents were not as strict. I struggle with that one because their parents were like a generation before your parents or two generations before your parents. Uh, I would guess it's more likely this that because they were a generation before us, they wouldn't have dared put their parents in a situation to have to say, you go to bed without any supper. You understand? They wouldn't have dared cross that line, whereas we were like a little more gutsy to say, you can't make me. <laughs> You're right, I'll have to feed you, just get out of here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, that's, that's a genuine thing that is true. We ought to be teaching because character and values are more important. And so what do we, how do we build this? We teach people the importance of work and how to bring God into it. So if you don't work, you don't eat. We work so that we can eat. That's why we work. Um, you know, there's the old adage, you know, some people live to work, some people work to live. You know, some people live to eat or work to eat, some people eat to work. You know, but, uh, you know, it's, it, we ought to be working. Uh, then we work for God's people, uh, for the church. I mean, this is our purpose in in labor. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So he's writing to the church and he's saying, there are people that are working for the body, that are laboring. We, this is what we ought to be doing. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, inside of God and our Father. Yet, I supposed it necessary to send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, 
but your messenger, and that he ministered, I love this last phrase, that he ministered to my, my wants, as opposed to what? My needs. I mean, this is amazing, right? The you know, Apostle Paul is like, there are people laboring for the, for the body of Christ, not just to provide needs, but even to take care of his wants. You know, that's part of our labor when we bring the Lord into the mix. We're, we're laboring for the body of Christ. We're, we're working for each other. We're, we're encouraging and stepping in and helping one another. And uh, that's legitimate. So these are some Bible purposes that God's given us to work. Uh, we ought to be out there using the, the health, the strength, etc. that God has given us for these purposes. Or we're going to be like Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's what drives people to, to crazy decisions or what drives people even to suicide. Like what's the point? What's the purpose of it? You know, why am I getting up and punching a clock for 40, 50, 60 hours a week? Every week, same as, you daily grind. Why am I doing this again and again? It doesn't make sense if there's no purpose to it. But God gives us purpose. And so uh, if we'll incorporate the Lord into our work, I think you'll find... Work isn't that big a deal. You know, it really isn't. Um, we remember, right? I hope we remember this that work is not part of the curse. You know what Adam was doing before the curse? Tending the garden. You know what Adam was doing after the curse? Sweating and bleeding from the thorns, working the garden. Or not that same garden, he was kicked out of that garden, but working the soil, right? It's just that work became hard. Work became work, so to speak, because of the fall. But work isn't a part of the curse. We're not going to go to heaven and just sit around. You know, we're going to go to heaven and be functional in the society that God's built for us there. You know, and, and because that's that's the purpose that God made us. And work is not part of the curse. So the curse is lifted. Doesn't mean we get out of labor. Uh, we just don't sweat doing it. Wouldn't that be nice? You won't have sore muscles. Uh, you won't have to. It's just great, you know. It's that's just a great concept with it. So uh, work is great. Uh, here's a little story you've heard before. Everybody, anybody, somebody, and nobody. Also known as that's not my job. So it was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry that, about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it. But nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody, but nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> I love it. That's a great story, right? It's like that's kind of like where our society is right now. I mean, have you ever, have you ever, um, you know, you, you get to the street corner, and the guy says, "We'll work for food," and on that corner and on that corner, there are signs out saying, "Now hiring." It's like, hello. We'll work for food. Cross the street. You know, it's like, cross the street. Now, I don't want to lose compassion, right? I don't. I mean, we ought to be that good Samaritan. And when we see somebody down, we're the ones that are supposed to pick them up, inconvenience ourselves by taking them to where they can get help and take and paying for it if we need to and making sure they're cared for. That's what Bible compassion looks like, but it is not compassionate to, to teach someone or to perpetuate someone's poor work ethic. That is not compassion. That's not fixing a problem. And so, uh, you know, we've got to be careful. So I, I just love this little anecdote. It's a, it's a good one. I thought you would enjoy being reminded of it. I'm sure you've already heard that before because it's been around forever. Here's some more, uh, some more words of wisdom on work. Uh, Emily Bronte said, A person who has not done one half of his day's work by 10 o'clock runs a chance of leaving the other half undone. Whew. By 10 o'clock in the morning? Some people are just getting out of bed. At 10, uh, by the way, if you work until 2 o'clock in the morning, you ought not to get out of bed until 10 o'clock the next day. I understand how this works, right? But, you know, if you're going to bed or if you're just staying up watching movies until all hours and then getting up late, uh, I will tell you, I love being a morning person. And, and, and people often say to me, well, I'm not a morning person, Pastor John, like you are. 
I'm going to be honest with you. I don't all, you know, it's not like I was born just getting up early. You understand? You make yourself a morning person. If you want to become a morning person, you have to, you know what you got to start doing? You got to start getting up. That's what you got to do, you know? So uh, it, it is amazing, you know, but it's amazing. By the time I leave for school in the morning and I leave at 7 o'clock, I've already got gotten two hours worth of work in before I've ever left for school, which is great. You know, I mean, it frees up my day in wonderful ways. Um, so uh, I teach suburban, and so uh, when I stay all night with my father-in-law, which is going to be tonight after this, I'll leave and go over to my father-in-law. So when I stay all night, i got to get up some somehow and get there, and, and, or, and somebody's got to be there when I leave, right? Dad could probably stay alone, but if he falls, right, that's the whole reason we need somebody there. Dad doesn't, he doesn't cook for himself, but he doesn't eat at 5 o'clock in the morning. But uh, I need to leave at 5.30 so I can come over here, shower, and get myself ready for school. Well, uh, so, you know, I don't know if you guys know Miss Becca, wherever she went. Miss Becca is the one that covers the afternoon, or the, the school day for us. So she drops her kids off at Suburban, then goes over to Mom and Dad's, or to Dad's, well, that's not until 8.30 she gets there. Well, my class is already halfway through by 8.30, so somebody's got to be there. So just recently, we hired David Klingeman to come over, and uh, three days a week is three days that I'm, three nights that I'm staying there. And um, he comes over three days a week. And so he gets there at 5.30 so that I can leave and come over here and get ready. So about three or four days in, I'm like, how you doing, David? I'm like a lab pastor. I'm tired. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, but he goes, no, honestly... I want this because I want to become a morning person. And what he's found out is that three hours that he's sitting there, because my father is typically just staying in bed, you know, so David's pretty much got three hours free. He could even go back to sleep. And like, if you want to lay down on the couch, go back to sleep. He's, I'm, and he's, he's learned that that three hours is golden. You know, by the time he's done with three hours, he's like, I got all my homework done. I have my devotions. I've got my whole day now ahead of me, Right. Suddenly Bronte was on to something, right? If we're not halfway done with our work by 10 o'clock, we're going to probably get to 5 o'clock and be clocking out and saying, oh, that's, I still, my inbox is still full, right? It's, we've still got all this stuff to do. Uh, it's an interesting concept. John Wooden said this, don't mistake activity with achievement, right? Uh, just because you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off doesn't mean you're doing anything. That just means you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. That is the curse of the 21st century, Right? Everyone on the planet is running around like crazy. We never have any time because we hit the ground running and we drop into bed at night and we start the next day the same way. There's a lot of activity, but it's amazing. We're accomplishing about the same thing we were doing before we had cell phones, right? It's about the same thing. We're not getting more done. We just have more activity. And uh, so Emil Zola says this. He's an artist. The artist is nothing without the gift. But the gift is nothing without work. <laughs> oh, I'm a good painter. Good. Paint. I don't want to. Well, then you're not a good painter. You understand? I mean, it doesn't matter if you can play the piano like Liberace, and I wouldn't necessarily want to be like Liberace, but anyway, it doesn't matter if you can do that if you never play, right? It's like, okay, don't tell me what you can do. Show me what you can do. It's a big difference. I love Ronald Reagan here. I've heard that hard work never, never killed anyone, but why take the chance? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, I put that up there just as, uh, you know, I thought that was good. Uh, Frederick Douglass, you remember who he is, right? Uh, so you've got to go back in your Civil War history. But anyway, uh, not Civil War, maybe Revolutionary War history. See, back in, before the Civil War? Civil War, Civil War, okay. Uh, people might not, he's black, in case you didn't know. So people might not get all they work for in this world but they must certainly work for all they get. That's a really good statement, isn't it? They may not get everything that they work for, but it's certain what you get you're going to have to work for. right? Uh, Mark Twain said it this way, find a job you enjoy doing, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Um, I, I'm being honest. This is why I'm still here 32 years later and still in love with what I do. Because you find a job you love doing, and I never feel like I go to work. And I also, by the way, I don't think I could handle just doing the same thing every day. 
You know what's wonderful about my job? I get paid to go to camp with your teenagers. Isn't that great? I love it. You know, I also get paid to paint and scrub floors and, you know, take, fix clogged toilets. And, you know, I get paid for a lot of different things. But every day is different. Every day is, a, it's a, every day is an adventure. I love my, my life. Find a job you love doing. You never work a day in your life, right? Uh, Proverbs says it this way, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life, but the fruit of the wicked is sin. Uh, in, la- in all labor, there is profit, Solomon says, but the talk of the lips tended to only to penury. If all we do is sit around and talk, it leads us to poverty, to penury. It leads us to being poor. But if we get busy, there's always profit. There's always profit in work. In all labor, there's profit. Do we believe these things? Are we passing this stuff on to our kids? Are we passing this on to our grandkids? I have to be honest, I, I tended to spoil my kids, you know, uh, Partly, probably because they were adopted, and it was like, oh, you know, that makes them extra special, but, you know, just their kids. But, and also probably because we were a little older, you know, and so uh, we have, but I tended to spoil them and probably, you know, pampered them more than I should. But they're still great kids. They both are in church and serving the Lord and love the Lord. And so what do I, you know, I, I did spoil them a little bit. But, uh, you know, I want to teach them. You know, I want to teach my grandson the importance of hard work, you know. Um, I can remember, I think I've told you this before, but um, I can remember the day that I outworked my dad. I had never been able to outwork my dad my whole life. My dad is 62, which, by the way, I'm 62 now. My dad was 62 years of age. And dad says, would you come over and help me tar the driveway? You know, so we're going we're gonna to seal the driveway, Right? He called it tarring the driveway. And so we're out there pouring the tar out and squeegeeing it, you know, and getting it all over the place. And uh, it's about 90 degrees outside. It's terribly hot. And all of a sudden, first time it ever happened, my dad said, I'm going to have to sit down. I had never, ever been still working when my dad said that. It was always me that had to take a break, right? It was always was me. And, and for the first time... I outworked my dad, and I thought, wow. Now, here's the funny part. A month later, we found out he had congestive heart failure, and he went in the hospital. <laughs> it took congestive heart failure for my dad for me to outwork my dad. But, uh, you know, it's like, okay, uh, that, was, that was just incredible. My dad just had a work ethic that just kept him going. I want to pass that on to my kids, my grandkids. Let's work hard. Uh, last one, I'll be done. Winston Churchill said this. Now, you'll recognize, perhaps, from famous speech, but this is what brings them into the war. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. How'd I start that out? Here's what I have to offer you, folks. Blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer it in one word. It is victory, victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be. You know what? We're going to work. That's what he said. What's before us is a, is a hard path, but it's worth it. And that's God's idea of labor. And so I hope that uh, we'll consider, you know, what we're doing and uh, make sure that our labor is not in vain because we brought the Lord into it. Teach that to our kids. Teach that to our grandkids. That's what's going to rescue this nation, right, is building godly character and values into a generation that so desperately needs it. Uh, any other prayer requests we need to share before we break up into prayer groups? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Yes, Brian has his procedure. They're going to do the ablation. Uh, again, this is the second one. So, And they said usually the first one, it's like 50-50. The second one should be like 90% chance that it's going to take, right? So, uh, But just pray for him. That's Wednesday, a week from today. Okay. Anybody else? Pray for revival. Pray for Miss Vicky. Pray for... Ed's family as uh, he's lost a brother. And uh, when you finish praying, you can be dismissed. God bless you.